Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and the first taste of island magic is free. Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and the island wants me to wish everyone a happy Jewish New Year. This is Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of international relations and rational choice theory. Today, we are going to be talking about the reboot of Fantasy Island. We have some other cool stuff coming up, including the end of October, the Battlestar Galactica Season 2 arc. And I guess we're still talking about doing John Scalzi's red shirts, which means we may have John Scalzi on. And we have too much to choose from, Dan. Like, we are getting such a shitload of, like, good, potentially good sci-fi coming up like in popular yes. culture so this is true no like as several people pointed out this is going to be a good season coming upcoming like if we had like hot sci-fi summer this is going to be intense sci-fi fall because <laughs> we have yeah uh, awesome we got autumn the, it's going to be awesome yeah, autumn. awesome oh i like awesome autumn yeah so like we've got the uh, on apple tv they will have the uh, foundation. foundation show we're going to have dune you know hopefully which will be entertaining i assume you saw the trailer for the matrix uh, resurrection i did it looks good, too. I it mean, looks, yeah, it looked better than I was expecting, frankly. Like, Carrie Ann Moss looks spectacular. That's a and, whole separate conversation. Hey, Dan, do you remember why we started this podcast? Oh, that's right. There's that <laughs> show we liked. I forgot about that. Yes, there's there's The Expanse, the final season. Um, so we are also looking forward to that. We encourage everyone to become a patron and to like and recommend this show to others. If you become a patron, there's all sorts of goodies involved with that. Among other things, you get early access to podcast episodes. You get free swag. You get access to our super cool Discord channel, which contains lots of interesting discussions about things like great dogs and also what people are currently enjoying that's not sci-fi and also if we hit 250 patrons we will do another patrons only episode chosen by you the patrons and we had our ama this morning Mm -hmm. and that is another benefit of being a patron and at our ama we came up with another benefit for when we get to a certain number of patrons which is when we get to 500 patrons which seems Mm -hmm. a long way off (laughs) But when we get to 500 patrons, we will start doing happy hours, probably like Zoom once a happy month. hours. Zoom happy exactly. hours once a month yes. where it's not just AMA, but actually like quasi social interaction with some structure of some kind. I think I might imitate the other podcast that I'm on, the Stephen King podcast, and they do trivia nights, like Ooh, pub trivia. We could. Do, oh, I like the idea of doing like both hardcore sci-fi trivia and hardcore IR trivia. I, that would be really fun. Yeah, totally. that would be a lot of fun. Super, yes. super fun. Okay. Like just kind so of like. You, politics yeah. trivia in general too yes great that sounds great and then on a more serious note mm-hmm. it may be unlikely that this is going to be important to anyone listening but i'm going to do it anyway which is i want to give a content warning for discussion of eating disorders because that is a big part of one of the episodes that we'll be discussing and frankly like i found the episode personally disturbing So if that is something that you have any kind of issues around and you're not ready to think about it right now, take a break. Come back later. We'll be here. We're going to talk about cool stuff in future weeks. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, Dan, you Mm -hmm. kind of insisted that we do this reboot. So I'll be honest. Yes, full disclosure, this one is on me. Um, Back in the spring in for our Schlock and Awe series, I wanted to do the original Fantasy Island pilot, the one that came out in the 70s. 
In part, that was because as a kid, I watched this show every Saturday night. I did that by choice. All right. As captain of the math team, I totally could have had a social life if I'd wanted to. It wasn't that I was just alone at, you know, at Saturday night and wanting to watch stuff. But, and maybe this is because my, you know, fear of horror films is slightly greater than Anna's, but the original show... I always thought it had a sense of menace, and it sticks with me. And indeed, in preparation, I rewatched about half of the original pilot. And Ricardo Montalban's Mr. Rourke was clearly, let's just say, an ambivalent character in the battle between good and evil. I mean, I think in the end, the characters all learn something. But you always got a sense that Rourke kind of had this enjoyment, almost sadistic enjoyment, of putting his guests through the ringer. And there are clear shots in the pilot that are clearly meant, you are meant to think, I don't know if I entirely trust this person. So I wanted to do that, but it's not available uh, really to watch anywhere in the United States. With Fox, however, rebooting it, this does provide an interesting sort of natural experiment, which we all like. In, in, <laughs> I in love a that you're calling relations. it a natural experiment. <laughs> it's a natural experiment. We talk about we talk about natural experiments all the time in international relations because, unfortunately, the man won't let us run real experiments in which we would launch coups and stuff. You know, like. <laughs> Human subjects committees and stuff get in the way of that. Don't get me started. But this is an interesting natural experiment because, you know, again, this is on network television, Fox. The question is, can Fox update a classic premise in an interesting way, given that it has had to deal with decades of battling cable television, which obviously has far fewer boundaries, years of battling streaming services, which also have far fewer boundaries, um, and also, in some ways, a shift in the norms of dramatic storytelling, which is, you know, back when you and I were very young, Anna, most television shows were that were dramas were self-contained. In other words, you know, there would be a drama, you, you would learn something, and then essentially the next episode, not much would have changed. We are now in a world of serialized storylines in which, you know, you have to pay attention to what has happened in previous episodes to even comprehend what is going on now. And this also seems particularly relevant because, as it turns out, both HBO and Hulu uh, are also putting vacation locale shows on. HBO in the case of The White Lotus and Hulu in the case of Nine Perfect Strangers. So the question is, does Fantasy Island have anything to say? Also, would Barbie Benton be in it? Um, <laughs> and for those of you who are too young to know that reference, Barbie Benton was a, uh, a Playboy playmate who would appear on guest star in a whole number of shows, including Fantasy Island, at least a couple of times. So, Dan, so. correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Fantasy Island was like paired with The Love Boat. Yes. Well, it's the same producers. I will talk about this in a little bit. And I'm not going to lie. There was the occasional special episode where the guests on the love boat would then go and have their fantasy on Fantasy Island. I am going to... Well, again, I don't think my dad listens to every episode, but if he happens to listen to this one, he might get a little embarrassed. But I remember that it was watching these shows that introduced mm -hmm. me to the idea of jiggle television. Jiggle <laughs> TV, <laughs> yes. Jiggle TV, <laughs> yes. which is something my dad said, like, in passing, like, once, oh, no. like, when I was watching it. And I, like, I was, like, what, like, 10 or 12, like, something like that. And that mm -hmm. idea of men, <laughs> actually, this idea that, like, men would watch television just to see boobies. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> kind of blew my mind. Like, I was young. I was very, very yeah. young. <laughs> no, that's, you were young and naive. And you it, it, you know what? There are far worse ways to discover Jiggle TV than Fantasy Island would be the way I would put it. Dan, you did the story behind the story this time. So why don't you lay it on us? I did. Okay, so believe it or not, the original Fantasy Island started out as a joke, literally. 
Executive producers Aaron Spelling and Leonard Goldberg, known for Jiggle TV shows. Yeah, I was going like, to say, basically, that's what they did. That was their Like Charlie's thing. Angels yeah. and Three's Company and all that stuff, were pitching ideas to ABC executive Brandon Stoddard, who rejected all of them. Spelling got very frustrated and apparently blurted out, what do you want, an island where people can go to and all their sexual fantasies will be realized? And of course, Stoddard loved that idea because this was American television in the 1970s, kids. Whereas nowadays, he would have had to pitch that to HBO obviously. The original show aired from 1978 to 1984. Uh, the network apparently wanted Orson Welles as Mr. Rourke, but Spelling knew about Welles's reputation as an enfant terrible on set and refused. This is somewhat ironic, since instead he wound up hiring, besides Ricardo Monteblan, Hervé Velachez to play Mr. Rourke's assistant tattoo. Spelling eventually had to fire Velachez for allegations of inappropriate behavior on set. He would show up late, he would apparently harass the women, and also demanded salary parity with Monteblanc. I would add, by the way, that if you were at all interested in Hervé Velachez, uh, Peter Dinklage played him in a great movie, I think, on HBO Max, worth watching. Apparently, Dinklage really wanted... That was his passion project. So, the show was popular paired with The Love Boat, as Anna and I have said. I think the most interesting thing about the original Fantasy Island is that Monteblanc was interviewed for, like, the Academy of Arts and Television or what have you, and he said that he played Rourke as a fallen angel relegated to purgatory, which I thought was a genius interpretation of, of the role. It's the original lost plot. Yes. Like, <laughs> that is so interesting, and it does explain that kind of ambivalence that Rourke had towards his guests, right? Yeah. And also the ways that the fantasies got fulfilled, something I know you want to talk about later, is that this show completely sort of punts on the idea that sometimes having your fantasies fulfilled is a curse yes like it just, I mean, it's, it's just not a part of it let me put it this way the original show did have an element of that short story the monkey's paw mm-hmm. i think it is there was that aspect to it and i don't want to oversell this like again this was network mostly it was jiggle tv and like it was mostly it was, yeah, yeah but there was yeah, but, like this interesting kind of feeling to it Right. And again, I think credit is due to Monteblanc on this. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he played, you know, you you would think it would be a very simple role for him to play because it was a very formulaic show. You would see the guests come in in the beginning. Herbert Velichez is known for saying, you know, and so forth. And then there would usually be three plots, I think, over an hour. They would all be neatly tied up. They would all leave having learned something. And yet Monteblanc actually really did like, you know, he gave a sense of gravitas to the role. So, after the original show went off the air, there have been subsequent attempts to reboot this intellectual property. It They did not work out terribly well. Uh, in 1998, there was one season of a reboot with Malcolm McDowell playing Rourke. Mm. Uh, that did not last long. And in 2020, uh, there was a Blumhouse horror film that leaned much more onto the horror side of things, a prequel that was both a commercial and critical flop. In December of 2020, Fox announced a revival uh, to be produced by Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain. In an interview, Fain explained that one of the things that they wanted to do for the series was to create a whole new mythology. In the mythology, there is always a Rourke family member who is a custodian of the island, and that person always has a second. Also, uh, the plotline that Anna is not going to like very much was actually apparently inspired by Kraft's sister-in-law, Phoenix morning show host Olivia Fierro. Without commenting yet on the quality of the show, the producers do seem legit interested in diversity. So I did watch the first five episodes. There were narrative arcs for 
two African-American families, one Asian-American family, one Latino family, one South Asian, and two whites. Furthermore, the three permanent cast members on the show are a Latino woman, a Latino man, and an African-American woman. So in some ways, you can argue network television has changed. That's great. Mm -hmm. The thing is, talent and quality are equally distributed. And while I do applaud the show for that, and it is also done in a not showy way, which I yes. appreciate. It's just completely yeah. just part of the show. They don't, there's no commentary about it. There's no like, you know, not much is made yeah. of it. And, and I would add, by the way, it wasn't just in front of the camera, behind the camera, like the episode, for example, with the South Asian protagonist clearly was written by a South Asian woman, similarly in terms of the, the narrative arc involving the Latino character and so forth. Right. And then also our listeners might want to know that Jane Espenson, mm-hmm. who has been involved in like every good sci-fi genre TV show that you want to name, <laughs> like yeah. she's had a role in it, from mm-hmm. Buffy to Battlestar Galactica, Torchwood, Game of Thrones, Jessica Jones. And I think she has some other sci-fi credits that aren't quite as prestigious, but she's Maybe. a mm-hmm. she's a machine about yeah. writing and she actually also has a twitter feed where she'll do writing sprints which i think is a really cool thing like she'll do, she'll just sort of encourage people hey everyone let's just take 30 minutes and everyone write for 30 minutes and i think that's <laughs> really cool and she wrote the episode that was eh, it was okay you know it was interesting yeah. it was interesting it was the most interesting yes yes we're gonna recap the first ep- three episodes of the show let's start with act one how ruby got her groove back so Let's start with Fantasy Island itself. It is now run by one Elena Rourke, who says that Mr. Rourke was her great uncle. When the show begins, she appears to be running the island on her own, with some flirtatious help from Javier, the pilot who ferries the guests to and from the island. Miss Rourke greets Ruby and Mel Akuda, an elderly African-American couple from Cincinnati, married more than 50 years. Ruby is dying of pancreatic cancer and would like to, for her fantasy, experience youth and health. Elena directs them to a waterfall, which they wash themselves and pass through, and hey, presto changeo, they are now 20-something smoke shows. They celebrate their hotness by totally getting it on, uh, and then Ruby goes for a run because she can. (laughs) While on her run, Ruby starts getting vibes from a lady jogger and does not seem entirely put off by them. That evening, Mel and Ruby go clubbing, and Ruby meets her jogger slash tattoo artist and decides to get, wait for it, a tattoo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There is also some sensual touching. Later that evening, Mel and Ruby chat, and Mel asks her whether, when they first met, Ruby had been dating her friend Meredith, and did he ruin her life with his heteronormative ways? I just want to break in. He really does appear to ask that, which is... yes. Whatever. It's like, it's interesting. I, it's interesting. It's, it's, wait, it, it's not correct, but like right. it was. But I, it, you know, I was just about to say, it is probably something that like, I guess at this point, like a 70 something man. African-American man. Yeah. I'm going to go out and ask. Yeah. That yes, is a exactly. genuine question that a, a, a gentleman of that era yeah. would probably ask. Right. Exactly. Ruby assures him that she's lived a full life and has no regrets. Ruby and Elena meet uh, on the beach early in the a.m., and Ruby admits that she had already said her goodbyes to her family and didn't think she would be leaving the island because all that meant was returning to pain. Elena, needing a second and noticing her tattoo, (laughs) takes it as a sign from the island and asks her to stay on and in her young body, no less. Mel is totally cool with this because Mel is a goddamn saint. Okay, I just want that on the record. He is. Totally is. Um, Ruby kisses him goodbye, and he boards the plane back in his old self. 
Um, Anna, you know, you have a few tattoos. Were any of them erotically administered? That seems dangerous to me. Dan, all um, tattoos are erotically administered. I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about the sort of tactile quality of tattoo administration <laughs> some other time. Yeah. It is like an experience. I mean, that's part of the experience. Like, just sort of as a side note, like, mm-hmm. the physical pain that you go through is something that's part of getting a tattoo. Like, you don't mm-hmm. just, like, get a t- it. It wouldn't be the same. It's not just cosmetic is what you're saying. Right. There it wouldn't all, be the also, same yeah. if someone could just, like, flash a tattoo on you. You know, right. like, all of a sudden yeah. you had a tattoo. It's part of yeah. the experience. And mm-hmm. which is why people use them to mark parts of their lives a lot of the mm-hmm. time you know it's an experience to do it i will say most responsible tattoo artists will not tattoo you if you're drunk or high so good to know that i was wondering about that because yes. she was seen both in that scene and yeah yeah and i also will say the drug uh, that is called island magic <laughs> which elena promises them isn't harmful what does she say she says something like it's completely safe no, I have to say, this was totally unbelievable to me because the idea that like 70 year old somethings were like, oh, yes, now the first thing I'm going to do is take drugs. I don't well, know. That part didn't strike me as unbelievable. Like I mm-hmm. I could buy we're in young bodies. Let's do some damage to them. That's fair. Yes. No, that I totally got. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. However, number one, Island Magic seems straight up ecstasy. <laughs> like <laughs> just I've done ecstasy, Dan. That's yes. what ecstasy is like, to the extent that oh, you can get a okay. feel for it. Like, it's you, you love everyone. It's actually oh, wow. really disorienting. In fact, that's one of the reasons I stopped doing it. Because huh. I ran across this. This is a pretty good story, actually. I took it when I was actually, I went to UT for a semester. And okay. I lived in a co-op. Mm-hmm. And we took it at the co-op. And then we went to a party. And there was this girl I knew from my African-American history class, which is a big lecture class, which was like right. novel for me since I was yeah. from University of Chicago. I was like, oh, so this is what a lecture class is like. <laughs> and one of the things I learned is everyone sits in the same place all the time, which was interesting mm-hmm. to me, like the mm-hmm. culture of lecture classes. So there's one girl who sat like behind and to the right of me. Right. I, we, she was at this party. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I went up to her and started talking to her and I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, why don't I talk to her more? This is, this is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. She's so cool. She's pretty. Like, mm-hmm. all of this. And then, like, some voice in the back of my head was like, Anna, you hate her. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anna, don't you wow. remember that you hate her? Like, she's, oh, you know, she snaps gum and she's like a total, like, sorority girl idiot. And you find her completely oh. annoying. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Okay. So hold on. Note to self: Do not take ecstasy. So, well, I just I mean you could say that that's a good thing to like like people that you didn't like before. But some part of me was like, I don't want to like people I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like this way. I think the answer to this is, I I then I'm not going to take ecstasy in a in a like I will not take ecstasy and then go to the American Political Science Association. That would <laughs> that be is bad. a very good idea. That, very good that idea. Would just be a, yeah, yeah. The second thing I want to say about this island mm-hmm. magic drug is that. While drugs do harm your body often, mm-hmm. they do damage to your cells or whatever, yep. the damage that drugs and alcohol do often is actually in the actions you take while inebriated, right? Right. Yes. And so to tell someone this is totally safe <laughs> is kind of a mindfuck. <laughs> like, 
welcome to Fantasy Island. Uh, and we'll talk more know. about doing things without consequences later on. Yes. And I, I, I was sort of, I don't know how I felt about the depiction of Ruby's sexuality, but actually after talking about it with you and kind of thinking mm-hmm. through the difference between Mel's reaction and the yeah. show's reaction. Right. I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think that like you, we had talked before that you you thought the the show's perspective was was she had given up something significant by you know marrying Mel as opposed to pursuing her bisexual ways, and I think that was what Mel thought. I think the show and also Ruby are very clear in understanding that yes, there was a, a choice, but like that she was entirely. But happy it's like with that choosing choice. between anyone. It's like yes, exactly. You're if it had been two men, it would have been the same. Yeah, it would have been the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like and she I had a was, boyfriend. It's like she had a romantic partner before she was married. Right. What do you know? <laughs> like, yes. And then she married one of them and not the right. other one. So. Yeah. So, Dan, um, I know we are moving on, and I'll just try Mm -hmm. to sit on my hands and bite my tongue while (laughs) you tell us about this other story. Okay, here comes to Act 2, which Anna did not like. You can't eat your feelings. Oh, wait, maybe you can. Christine Collins is a morning anchor in Phoenix who wants to make it in the Big Apple. She is exercising at 4 a.m., trying to stay fit when she hears a voicemail from her agent explaining that the New York job she wanted went to someone younger and blonder. She tries to maintain a happy demeanor on set, but freaks out when a new guy brings in donuts. She melts down on camera, and of course, that goes viral. Christine goes to Fantasy Island and requests that she be able to eat anything she wants without gaining any weight. Miss Rourke grants her request. She gorges herself silly on normal delicacies, but then wanders into a dining hall and sees food from her past there. Christine gets sunk into a birthday cake and flashes back to 1984. She sees her stepfather, Harlan, body shame her. Later, Harlan shows up at Christine's room on Fantasy Island and berates her. She responds by conking him on the head and running, and runs right into Elena, who offers her one last feast, a roast of Harlan? Christine wakes up the next morning and is not hungry. Huzzah? Anna, of all the plots in the first few episodes, this one is, I think, supposed to be the scariest, and by that I mean it's not even remotely scary. Maybe I'm just older, but it sure seems like the reboot has purged Rourke's menace, as it were, or Miss old Mr. Rourke's menace, and replaced it with a sort of more new-agey, what-can-the-island-do-for-you. Okay. Kids, strap in. <laughs> like, I don't know if this will be, like, a very articulate rant, but I mm-hmm. do have things to say. Yeah. And the first thing I'll say is I found this very scary. Because I'm an aging woman in a profession where looks are prioritized. Right. And it is... So you at least identified with her, the the original plight. I don't know a woman who wouldn't. Right. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. and it is scary. And it is also kind of, it's perverse, this idea of eating whatever you want, quote unquote, without consequences. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in some level it did sort of get to that curse part of it. But I want to talk about, but anyway, so the first thing I want to say is, again, just to CW, if you haven't already turned this off because you can't hear about eating disorders, well, yeah, turn this off. The depiction of her eating Mm -hmm. was pornographic. (laughs) I mean, it's funny that it was, but it was. They played Mm -hmm. a sexy song. Did you notice that? No, I did not notice that. It was a song that was about having sex. Wow. And they played it while she was eating. And okay. it, to me, it had the same sort of vibe as some pornography does, which is it's leering. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and also kind of patronizing and disapproving. It like, was definitely patron. It was like, patronizing ew, and disapproving. Look at yes. this. Like at one point, she's in a bathtub of chocolate and like dips <laughs> something in the bathtub, and that's gross. I mean, that's straight up gross. Mm-hmm. And like it's yeah. depicted as like that's how hungry she is. Oh my gosh, she's so right. hungry. Yeah. She's so hungry. Oh, so hungry. And it's yeah. I mean, I got really uncomfortable during the scenes of her eating because of the way that it was portrayed. And then there's another thing that made me uncomfortable. You know, when she says what her fantasy is, Mm -hmm. Elena says, is it food you're hungry for or something deeper? And she replies, she's just hungry. Right. So a couple of things. Uh, (laughs) First, if she has an eating disorder, which it sounds like she may have, Mm-hmm. Like she may be anorexic. Like that is you don't. I should maybe explain to people. Not all anorexics are like stick thin. Mm-hmm. Anorexia is when you overregulate your eating. So and I think point, it would be safe to say she overregulates her eating. Yes, and also she has an eating disorder. An eating disorder is defined by being you know over obsessed with food and letting food kind of define your life, right? right? Mm-hmm. And if that is what she has or what she's working through, this fantasy is so destructive mm. because it turns food into the reward that you want. Mm-hmm. It treats food like the thing that can make you happy. Right. It, it actually endorses this idea that what you're missing in your life is food. Now, we know Elena thinks there's something more. Yeah, there's something more. But mm. that the, the activity of this fantasy reinforces someone who is who would be anorexic it would ironically feed their anorexia or bulimia this might you know might easily could go mm-hmm. the other way right um and i i want to point out the thing about the consequences here so her fantasy is to be able to eat with no consequences imagine an alcoholic going to fantasy island and saying yeah. drink with no consequences oh god yes that's a that's a that that analogy puts this in perfect perspective because that would be horrible yeah and and eating disorders are a lot like addictions and this will get Mm -hmm. me to my second point in that they're caused by complicated things they're often co-occurring with other traumas or other just psychological issues yeah you know that don't have a specific point of origin like i had this experience and so i'm an alcoholic i had this experience and so i have an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and another way that they are like addictions is that they you are ongoing in recovery Mm -hmm. someone does not just get over an eating disorder and then never have it again in their life right it is a thing that you are always kind of in recovery for you're you are always going to be aware of it and mindful of it and and looking for you know a relapse a, a time that you might get in your life where like an alcoholic you're going through something difficult and your instinct is to control your intake of food Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing I want to say <laughs> is she might just be hungry. <laughs> like, in fact, she might be hungry because she has been starving herself. It sounds right? like she hasn't been eating that much. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, Dan, I don't want to assume anything about your wife, but mm-hmm. I bet if you asked her about her relationship with food, mm-hmm. she would tell you that, yes, she has some issues with it. I... Like, Without in any way divulging details, it would be safe to say that would that would be true. Because yes. I don't know a single woman that doesn't. I am right. P- this is a literal truth. I yes. do not know a woman that doesn't have a ambivalent relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Because this culture is 
we are inundated from so early on that you are what you look like, that if you mm-hmm. eat a lot, it's gross. Mm-hmm. And that if you do eat a lot, well, then it can't show, right? Right. It's the, that's the cool girl uh, rant from Gillian Flynn. Yeah. And I think this show just, you know, doesn't <laughs> take that into It doesn't engage with that. At all. Yeah. Like, yeah. the idea that what the real fantasy might be is if you wanted to eat with no consequences, is to be able to eat whatever you want and have everyone treat you the same, mm-hmm. no matter what you looked like. Or right. what you ate, like that's the true fantasy of being able to eat whatever you want. Is that pe- not that you cannot gain weight, which is sick. That is a mm-hmm. sick way to think about food. That the mm-hmm. consequences of food, when, again, so she's thinking this way. My consequences for eating are gaining weight, and therefore I will be rejected. Right. right. The consequences of eating should be that was delicious. And now I am full. And now I am full. Or that was delicious, and now I have energy in my body to go do shit. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Except swimming for 30 minutes, but keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, While I was watching this, I actually thought of a quote I want to read from a book um, called Belabored, A Vindication of the Rights of Pregnant Women by very wonderful writer Liz Lenz. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't follow her on Twitter, she's great. She has a Substack newsletter. She has two books, one about leaving the evangelical church called Godland, and this book, The Labored, which I am not a mother and I don't plan on ever being one, but I found this book pretty revelatory because it's not just about pregnancy, it's about women's bodies in general mm-hmm. and pregnancy being one of the ways that women's bodies are defined. Right. And she, a few times in the book, she talks about this period of being pregnant is when she could eat whatever she wanted and no one judged her. So I want to read this quote from Belabored. Uh, yeah. She is talking about a retelling of the biblical story between Lilith and Eve. Mm-hmm. In this version, they become partners and part of the story is them eating the quote unquote forbidden, forbidden fruit. Ah, okay. And in, in this version, and now I'm quoting from Liz. Mm-hmm. Hunger, in this retelling, does not curse humanity, but rather gives us life. Eve's eating seizes the labor of creation from the hands of the patriarchal God and puts it inside her womb. She bears children who unite with the souls that Lilith creates. Eating is the process through which the soul and flesh are united. Yet, we cannot allow women to eat. Because what then? What if we stop suppressing their appetites? What if we allow them to consume fully and without reproach? Well, maybe then they would consume the world, or maybe they would create it. And that makes me emotional. Yeah, fair enough. Um, because this idea, and I, that, that's the thing that stuck with me in this book. What if we could let women eat as much right. as they wanted? Yeah. And how sad that it is such a radical idea. Right. And so I take your point that essentially this plot line was I was surprised that this plot line was in the pilot because there are better plot lines later on in the show. And this seemed like Mm -hmm. one of the weaker ones. But let us move on to act three, the Fantasy Island Freaky Friday crossover event. So meet Zev and Daphne who skydive onto Fantasy Island from the Cialis commercial they would have been perfectly typecast for. Uh, He's a silver haired professor. She's a saleswoman reluctant to ask for a promotion. They got married on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and have dedicated themselves to having a wonderful adventure together, abstaining from, you know, attachments like children or pets. But their marriage has apparently hit a dry spell and they want to rekindle the spark. They get a couple's massage. 
Kiss, and Ho, Presto Changeo, are Freaky Friday into each other's body. Most of this episode consists of each of them trying to adapt to their new bodies. There is a very amusing, although upon reflection slightly creepy sex scene, mm. uh, in which Zev, in Daphne's body, <laughs> learns about the male gaze and what it's like when the man finishes way too soon. Daphne, in Zev's body, finds the surging testosterone both liberating, feeling safe sleeping alone in the dark, and confusing, starting a bar fight with a dude while completely unprepared for actual fighting. Zev, in Daphne's body, has difficulty with raging hormones, and Ruby uh, divines that she must be pregnant. They reconnect from their individual adventures and talk quite candidly about what each of them think about the pregnancy. They are not exactly on the same page, but at least are having an honest conversation about it. They kiss again and are transplanted back into their own bodies. They decide that Zev will be the anchor parent and Daphne will be more ambitious in her career. There is also a B story in this episode uh, about a man responsible for the death of his fiancée who has been on the island for 35 years. His fantasy is just to sleep, to let the grief pass, on condition that he must be conscious for 48 hours every five years. Elena does not like this fantasy and eventually talks to the man, uh, convincing him that he needs to go back into the world. Anna, as we, as you said in the beginning, Jane Epson wrote this episode, and I did think this plot line was a cut above the other ones that, that happened in the first few episodes. I thought it actually had a pretty layered approach to the mind-body question. The transplanted characters were a somewhat interesting mix of their obviously pre-existing personalities, but also dealing with their new physical forms. And also, I legitimately really liked the conversation they had about raising a child. Did you like it? Eh. There we go. <laughs> So I kind of hated it, and then I liked it, and then I hated it again. <laughs> I hated it because there is a very clear indication at the beginning that mm -hmm. Daphne's not so into this. Like, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but when they're telling Elena about how yeah. great their adventurous life is, right. there is a shot where they take in the two of them, mm -hmm. and you can see that Zev is all like excited telling like how what adventures they have and Elena has this expression on her face like yeah I guess we adventure all the time you know <laughs> yes it's, it's cool yeah and then at first I found the Freaky Friday thing kind of hacky mm -hmm. like it's basically boils down to Daphne discovers the male gaze and mm -hmm. what it's like to be horny all the time mm -hmm. <laughs> And then Zev has emotions. Like, and actually, I'm going to point out, that's all Zev discovers except for the sex thing. Is like... Yeah. No, it's a fair... I'm trying to think. And I would actually say this, that the sex part is related to the different ways that women and men relate to sex. For women, mm -hmm. it's a lot more about emotional intimacy. And that right. takes some build-up, let's say. Yes, I, you know. Let me put it this way: I, I that did amuse me. Like I, I particularly liked. Uh, oh sure, I mean Daphne is yes. saying, "No, I think we're building momentum. We should keep going." And then, of course, two seconds later, it's done. But I um, mean, it's a little again hacky. It is hacky, but that doesn't mean it's not funny. I guess would be the way to put it. I, I, true, true. The part um, that creeped me out was 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 reflecting that they were essentially being turned on by the fact that they were looking at themselves. Which yeah. when I thought about that, that was a little icky, but whatever. But that's just. Weird. I think it this it could have been so much more interesting. Yeah, that's the thing. Because also, I felt like this was a really binary portrayal too. Hmm. You know, like men are this way, women are this way, and that's not always true. Yeah, and it would have been interesting to maybe find 
that some of the parts of being on the uh, with the person who has the different equipment mm-hmm. weren't wasn't so strange. Mm-hmm. Also, this is I I really want to be careful to say this. This is about presenting as male or female for Z, for Daphne. Sure, like a lot of the time, and again, that's something that kind of bothered me because like I have friends who've transitioned mm-hmm. and sometimes have the equipment and sometimes don't. Mm-hmm. But it's how they present themselves that people respond to. Okay, yes, that's and and mm-hmm. it's. No, gender is in, no, gender is in large, gender is, there's a social a construct. Aspect. Yes, yes. But it's also a social construct, how others perceive yeah. you. And so, yes, it wasn't just the equipment being exchanged, but it was also those constructs. Right. And I think it might have been interesting to have, like, a moment where, like, Daphne and Zev's body discovers, wow, you know what? I have an outlet for my anger. I am angry about a bunch of shit, and I get to express it now. Well, I mean, like, he and, does and this comes do naturally that. to me. Well, it, he does kind of do that in the bar fight, like you know, and things like that. Yeah, but then, then he's presented as hapless. Right. Yes, I grant you that. You know. Yeah. Then I liked it again mm-hmm. because I did think that the discussion about the mommy tax mm-hmm. was pretty subtle and yeah. By network correct. television standards, I thought it was it was well done. It was well acted. It was a appropriate conversation, and it's not something I would have seen expected on network television. Yeah even 15 years ago. So that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Which is why I was so disappointed that at the end of the show, they're just like, oh, we're going to have the baby and he's going to be the house husband. Because you know what? What, like, Anna? That doesn't make the problem disappear. Because <laughs> like, one of the things I liked about their discussion about the mommy tax, I mean, I think they mention in it is no matter what the intentions are, this is what it winds up looking like. So, okay, this is where I will push back a little bit. And also, bit. there are studies about oh, house husbands, okay. Dan. Yes. But where want- it finds that it's, it's not, it doesn't compare to when the woman is the is the homemaker. Okay, so all of this is fair. The, the but level, I, amount of work, the amount of work that's done. But I do want to push back a little bit because I actually think the conversation was slightly more, the, the conversation that both you and I liked, the point she made was slightly more subtle, which was is that, what parenting cannot be, and this is something I completely agree with, is it can't be 50-50. That inevitably there is one parent that is the default parent. And her point was that it's never 50-50 with men and women. It winds up being the woman is the default parent. And I would argue that is largely true among couples that attempt 50-50 parenting. In if, heterosexual however, couples. In heterosexual couples, right. If, however, the acknowledgement, the mutual acknowledgement is, is that the man is going to be the default parent... In, you know, I, I know couples for, for this, and I'm not saying it works perfectly because as you're right, society has certain expectations about women no matter what, but it can't work. I don't think it's, it's not unproblematic. I'm not going to deny that. And by the way, this doesn't therefore mean the woman should always be the default parent. I'm just saying that if you don't make it 50-50, if you make it very clear that there is, you know, the husband at home and the, the wife is the one who is the primary wage earner or what have you, the issues of you know, expect the yes, expectations are still there, but if there's a default parent, then usually the woman is not going to be as inconvenienced, I guess. I mean, I'm basically asking for this just to continue to be a fantasy, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because that's the way that you would definitely get what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, you would definitely have that outcome because what I'm picking on is something the show shouldn't really be responsible for and mm-hmm. doesn't you know, in a self-contained television show, like episodic, whatever, like they're not going to follow them and see what happens. But, you know, 
a lot of times in marriages, you have a plan about mm-hmm. how things are going to work and how you're yes. going to divide up work. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah. And yeah. one of the reasons it doesn't work out is because of these social pressures. You yes. Know, that you can't just swap roles. Like, that's actually the thing. You can't just swap roles. Right. Like, what Like they did. What you would need is that they would need to stay Freaky Friday'd. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> that act now i have to admit that would have been an interesting like way to end see that i agree for him, that would have for been, him that to would truly be the house husband yes he would probably need to present as female yeah that's interesting and she would need to present as male to, in order to earn enough money mm. that was actually also the, they don't talk about that no that was the, truthfully the most unbelievable part of that plot was the idea that they were living in the bay area and he was a professor and she was like a saleswoman <laughs> like no way no freaking way that they you know they would be living in a very cramped apartment in that circumstance. Right. Yes. And then I have one last point to make. Yes. In the introduction, mm-hmm. they reveal they stopped having sex. Oh, dear. That is a plot hole, isn't it, given that she's <laughs> pregnant? Ooh. I, I don't know. Fantasy I- Island. Maybe fa- maybe the island did that. Maybe they yeah. took some island magic. I mean, you know. Yeah, just, island just, magic. Yeah, exactly. All right. Keep going, Dan. Okay. And let's finally finish with Act 4. I saved the worst plot for last. So, meet Eileen Mitchell, a former supermodel, now a woman of a certain, certain age, who is either a bon vivant or a raging narcissist, or most likely both. Her fantasy is to reconnect with her daughter, Theodora, and her family. It seems that Eileen was asked to babysit her grandson, and while the child was sleeping, snuck out of the house to do karaoke at a neighbor's. Also, at the same time, meet Charles, a scientist who has come to Fantasy Island in order to see something quote-unquote unexplainable. Eileen's family is also on the island, and she tries to interact, but oh no, she's invisible. Not just to her family, but to everyone except Elena and Ruby. This makes her unhappy. Rourke then shows Eileen's life through Theodora's eyes, and we see how Eileen's happy-go-lucky, backpacking life uh, seriously traumatized her daughter with abandonment issues, in which you see her daughter at various spas wondering if her do- if her mother was actually going to return from whatever hike that she had done. Uh, Charles sees footprints from Eileen as she's walking and, lacking a plausible explanation, follows them to her room. Eileen, seeing a gentleman caller, figures out how to communicate to her. He, turns out, can hear her when they manage to hold hands. They get to know each other and eventually start smooching, which is interesting because he's about, well... Never mind, it's not something you would have expected. Charles helps Eileen communicate with Theodora, who is skeptical until her mother holds her hand, apologizes, and says she wants to make amends. Mother and daughter hug. Suddenly, she's visible again. Everyone decides to stay an extra week on the island. Hooray. (laughs) Anna, I feel like this show, in adapting to the 21st century, has done some interesting things. There are more people of color. There's different sexual orientation. There's actual conversations about, you know, sexism and what have you on the show. But I'm not sure I get the internal rules of Fantasy Island. For instance, this resort seems awfully damn big. And there are lots of guests, but not everyone is there for a fantasy. Um, There are even regulars. In the the episode with the husband and wife, we actually, like, hear, like, a bartender said, yeah, it was a regular that he got into a fight with. Do they know what's going on on the island? Are they aware that there's other shit going down? And I'm honestly not sure that the attempt to serialize what we will learn about sort of Ruby and Rourke's backstory will work. Uh, What do you think? Yes. Uh, (laughs) I found I had all of those questions. And another one, which is how do people find out about the island exactly? There's a reference to a small ad at some point. But, Mm. you know, it feels like word would get around. Yeah. Like, 
especially in the age of the internet, you know, like people would find out that there's this amazing island that you go to and your fantasies are fulfilled. Yeah, right? I'm pretty sure the island wouldn't be able to block like, you know, all of the information. And, you know, the again, yeah. this is like, whatever, veil of disbelief. Right. You don't have to engage with this, but it would, I would appreciate a hand wave. I often right. appreciate a good hand wave. Yes. In other words, just the gesture to recognize, yes, we know you're asking this question and we're going to deal with that in this way. But right. I, but it's a legitimate puzzle because, and this was a difference because like I, my vague recollection of the old show was there never were a ton of guests. There were just the guests yeah. who came via the boat. On this, it seems like, you know, a sandals resort um, yeah. with people who are also like doing the or And, and residents of the island. Yeah. Like there's like a wait staff. Right. There's a whole wait you staff, know, you know, so like, like, so yeah. And then the other thing is how much does this fucking cost? Right, so the original pilot of the original show, um, the premise was is that uh, guests had to pay fifty thousand um, oh, dollars for the. That's for still the a lot of money. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That was, that was a, was a huge a amount of money, of money then. Back then. Exactly. So, and that was the other. Yes, we'll, we'll talk about this. I think in a little bit, but like, cost is never mentioned on this. Thing. Like, no one ever says how much they paid in order to be able to do this. And I think most of the guests that we see in the first couple episodes are quite affluent, and that would explain it. I was kind of wondering if was there ever like you know. Could you win a prize to do this yeah. or like what? Happened? I had this yeah. idea that they might explain in some yeah. way, like people get selected in right. some mysterious or way, a lottery like, or something. Yes, exactly. like yeah. yeah, or like it's a golden ticket type thing, right. or maybe you just mysteriously get a letter from Mister Rourke that or Mrs. <laughs> Ms. Ms. Rourke, Ms. Rourke, yes, where it says like you've been selected to do this thing, and it turns out you know whatever. Like I, they again a hand wave. Yeah, give me the That's all give I'm me asking. the courtesy of a hand wave, yeah. and Dan. Uh, I will have more to say about capitalism. Oh, later. good. I look forward to this. Okay. Okay. But right. first. Dan, though, I have a question. Dan. Anna. Is there IR in this show? Anna, the island is talking to me. And it says, <laughs> yes, there is some implicit international relations in the show. And here's what it is. Basically, the question I asked as I was watching this was, is Fantasy Island its own country or not? <laughs> this is a legitimate question. Like, everyone who seems to come seems to be American. It seems a lot of the white staff seems American or perhaps Caribbean. I'm not entirely sure. But I say that Fantasy Island has to be its own country. Because there is no way the federal government would tolerate this kind of unregulated fantasy. <laughs> you know, shit, without litigation. There would immediately be, like, you know... you know, the, like if, oh, if, man, if, the property value... Wow. I mean, and also, the as an, presumably as an island, it would be under federal jurisdiction, by the way, and not a state, I'm assuming. So, like, there is no way they would be able to avoid the feds when they engage in, let's say, island magic drugs or, I don't know, <laughs> you know, supernatural transposition of bodies, what have you. It would make sense. It would make a lot more sense that Fantasy Island be its own sovereign nation. Because as it turns out, a lot of very small islands in both the Caribbean and the South Pacific are independent sovereign states. They have... You know, citizens of those islands have their own citizenship. They have membership in the United Nations organizations and a variety of, of international treaty bodies. And it is worth pointing out that a lot of these microstates survive in a world dominated by anarchy in a variety of ways. Some, like Fantasy Island, engage in tourism. They're, you know, you go to the Bahamas for, among other reasons, because it's a really nice place to go, or Barbados, or what have you. However, that is not the only way that sometimes these microstates stay uh, above water, as it were. A lot of these microstates wind up functioning as offshore financial centers, slash tax havens, slash ways to facilitate money laundering. And indeed, I know this because when I know a lot of the jurisdictions that we were talking about, because when I worked at the Treasury Department, one of the things 
things I had to do was work on anti-money laundering activities. And you get very familiar <laughs> with these jurisdictions and they're occasionally loose banking laws. Although I would also add most of them have ratcheted up their banking laws in response to U.S. Uh, and OECD pressure. Another thing. A they- whole nother story. Yes. Which would be kind of interesting. Right. So that's one. I mean, I say that. I can't believe I said that. But people who listen to this podcast would also agree. Yeah, Yeah, I want to hear more about how the U.S. government, you know, encouraged small island nations to become more serious about their financial laws. I I hate to say this. If you really are interested in this, you can buy my book, All Politics is Global, Explaining International Regulatory Regimes, which is just a bestseller, you know, in that sense. But like I do talk about no zombies in that one, though. no zombies in that one. I don't know. Then never mind. Yeah. The other way that states very often, um, microstates actually uh, continue to thrive is by basically selling their sovereignty. So sometimes, like some states literally sell their top level domain URLs, which are a sort of two letter thing. Um, They will often sell them to an international firm because that way the firm can sort of have a distinct URL on the web. Much more commonly, what they will do is literally sell their votes in various international bodies. My favorite example of this is the International Whaling Commission. So a brief story. Beginning in 1986, uh, the U.S., along with a lot of other countries, passed a ban on commercial whaling in the International Whaling Commission because whales were an endangered species and, you know, you wanted them repopulated. Japan opposed this because whale meat is considered a delicacy in Japan, but nonetheless, they had to comply with the IWC regulations. After that ban, a mysterious uh, trend began to emerge within the IWC, which is membership in the IWC is voluntary. And so suddenly a whole bunch of microstates in the South Pacific and the Caribbean joined the IWC, even though they were nowhere close to whaling areas. Two things happened. A, they suddenly would receive tens of millions of dollars of Japanese aid. And the other thing that happened was they started saying, you know what, we want to lift that commercial ban on whaling. So, you know, that hasn't quite happened yet, but actually Japan has now managed to have a majority of countries in the IWC that support the removal of the commercial whaling ban. They need two thirds. They might there might eventually be enough microstates to get there. But the point is, Fantasy Island will probably not engage in that because they clearly have their own <laughs> revenue but the source. The point is, yes, the point <laughs> Fantasy is, Fantasy Island is probably a nation state. <laughs> Fantasy Island, in order to exist, has to be an independent sovereign state. So, yes, that was the one uh, element in which I thought there was IR. But, Anna, now I have a question for you. Anna? Dan? Did you find a way to point out the evils of capitalism in this television show? Dan, (laughs) this show would not exist without capitalism. There would not be fantasies to fulfill without capitalism. Okay. Let me say that. There we go. Uh, I celebrate that on the show itself there is no apparent market for anything, which, you know, (laughs) great. Cool. But two of the storylines and the ones we've talked about the most already, mm-hmm. Daphne and Zev and Christine, those storylines exist because of how capitalism and patriarchy reinforce each other. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yep. In a truly liberated and equitable society, neither mm-hmm. of those fantasies would need to exist. Because universal childcare, that would have helped a lot with Daphne and Zev making a decision about kids much earlier, at least having the conversation. If Fantasy Island had been like a daycare center, for example, yes. Well, I mean, it is a fantasy that we'll get universal daycare in this country, but um, (laughs) it's also a fantasy that we're ever going to, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I hope that one day we get to a place where women don't starve themselves in order to participate in a job market. Yes. um, In order to participate in society. But right now, if you are on television and you are a woman, like... Unless you're kind of lucky, mm-hmm. like you are restricting your eating. 
in order to make a living. And so, yeah, if if Christine didn't have to do that, she wouldn't have the issue that she has, which I think, again, just to drill down on how you can't cause an eating disorder because one particular person criticizes you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how it works. I mean, eating disorders happen because society criticizes you. Like, the world criticizes you, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, if Christine could live in a world where people didn't judge her and she could have a job no matter what she ate, I don't think she would flip out about donuts. One would hope not. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. So, so, so there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Dan. Yes. I have been distracted because I I hear something. Dan. Yes. Little shoals of island are hitting us. Some pebbles from the beach. They've been kicked up by the water plane. We're in the debris field. We are in the debris field. This is where we talk about things we haven't already talked about. Surprisingly, there usually are some. You go first. Okay. I don't have a ton. First of all, Elena's desk is spotless, and I object to that. You know, when you when you see her meet with everyone, she there's literally no paper, nothing on her desk, and just incredibly tidy, and I can't stand that. I, I like a good messy desk. There was an interesting conversation in the pilot about the distinction between a fantasy and a miracle, which was the one piece, I think, of actually, like, work they tried to do to try to explain what were the limits of what could actually be accomplished by the island. Um, although, again, it was so new agey that I just I wasn't a huge fan of that. If they are, uh, you know, an international country, which I think they are, they need international guests. I want to see guests from <laughs> beyond the United States. Um, I figured they were an island in the Caribbean, you know, especially given, uh, you know, Elena Rourke's Spanish speaking. But like, you know, they could have guests from like Brazil or Argentina or, you know, what have you. That or it's would... a fucking fantasy show. Yeah, exactly. Like, just have guests from wherever. Right. And speaking of which, with apologies to Bellamy Young, who is the actress who played Christine Collins, I wanted bigger guest stars. One of the appeals of Fantasy Island, the original, was that like yeah. you would see people from other shows you know or, or what have you actually like make a guest appearance and i think they needed to up their game a little bit in terms of like who would be guest starring i do think that like in there's like a future episode where they bring back like three of the actresses from melrose place that's the kind of level i'm looking for i want to say i want <laughs> i want more stunt casting if you're going to keep doing this because that would actually keep me intrigued anna what about you doggy <laughs> there is a there is a there is a doggy in the show. Yes, and I of course am always happy when I see a doggy. So I want the dog to have more to do. <laughs> it seemed like she she was giving him an assignment at one point. Yeah, but then I didn't think it followed through. She has the dog talk to the guy who's sleeping for a long time, which yeah, that was also a plot I, mean, I hated, by the way. But like that's oh, I hated it too. Yeah, but, it was awful. Um, anyway, more doggy, mm-hmm. more dog. Okay, I think Ruby's tattoo changes. It does. Yes. I guess they talk about that later. Well, no, you see, I think like the very end of the pilot episode, you actually yeah. physically see it change. Although the thing that I found a little strange was that you see it change and then nothing is done with that. Like I, I was. Yeah, at, that's what I mean. Like I just. Right. Like talk about the debris field. Yeah. You would, you would assume that like that would, that is a great way by changing the tattoo to sort of signal to people. Oh, well, this show is going to be about X or like, you know, it, it's a great way of doing symbolism and yet they don't do anything with it. Nope. No. Um, and then just this. I mean, this may be a politically incorrect thing to say. Here we go. But Finally. I think it might have been cool to cast a little person in the show. Mm. Like, not in the tattoo role, because mm-hmm. that is pretty degrading role. But maybe just, it would be like a gesture towards how that role was kind of 
you know, marginalizing to have a little person play some other character. He's too big a star to be in this, but I would have, I would, I would watch the hell out of Peter Dinklage playing. Oh, I mean, of course, I thought of him too. And unfortunately, he's like the one little person actor that people can name. Right. Right. Yeah. So it would be cool. I'm sure there are good ones out there. Mm -hmm. You know. So anyway, that's just, I think that would have been at least a good thing for them to, I would want to be in the writer's room when they talked about that. Yeah. You know, that Mm -hmm. could have been cool. Yeah. And that is it for our discussion of Fantasy Island. And that means we move on to Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, I will do the very quick uh, plot recap. Mm -hmm. Uh, A plot is the relationship between Roy and Jamie, which has always been fractious. (laughs) And it is one of the ways that this show, this season, seems to be dealing with actual consequences. Mm. Like something has happened that now has an effect on the rest of the show. (laughs) Uh, It turns out that Jamie just needs to be an asshole in the appropriate circumstances. That's a good lesson to learn. Because Because he's been overcompensating. He's actually been too polite on the field, as it were. Yes, and he's been too much of a good guy. I don't know if there's... I mean, whatever. Like, I don't know if I agree with how they handled that, Mm -hmm. but it happened. And then there's a subplot, which is slightly more interesting and does leave us with more to chew on, Mm -hmm. which is that Ted doesn't have a lot to do when Mm -hmm. you have three assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. And at least that's sort of the feeling I got Mm -hmm. from how they played this. Uh, And indeed, while Roy is doing the majority of the coaching, which, by the way, makes sense, like his... Two of his assistant coaches actually know shit about soccer. <laughs> yes. And the third you know, one at least he, reads a fair amount about it. Like, I would say, yeah. I, I think Coach Beard by now probably knows a fair amount about soccer is my point. Yeah. Right. So it makes sense that, that Ted might feel a little, like, you know, useless. Mm-hmm. And he appears to have a panic attack, which we know he has from previous um, episodes. Mm-hmm. And he winds up in a ball in a corner outside Dr. Sharon's office. Right. Where he asks for an appointment, tearfully asks for an appointment. Mm-hmm. Plot B is about Rebecca's mom and dad. It turns out Rebecca's mom is a serial splitter. She's always leaving Rebecca's dad. And actually, this kind of bothered me because what seems to be happening is that she leaves the dad because he doesn't pay enough attention to her. Mm -hmm. She's not fulfilled, et cetera, et cetera. And she goes out and tells people about this and she gets a ton of validation, Mm -hmm. right? Like everyone's telling her how brave she is, how great it is that she's done this. Except Rebecca. Except Rebecca. And then her husband buys her a gift, Mm -hmm. and she returns. This seems like a relationship that probably does need work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if Rebecca's mom is constantly seeking, consistently seeking outside validation Mm -hmm. and only gets attention from the dad if she leaves... Mm Not a recipe for, like, a great relationship. I would also say this might help to explain Rebecca's love life and attitude towards relationships. I thought in that sense it actually provided a nice sort of, you know, it explains Rebecca's cynicism would be one of the ways of of putting it. Although she did have a very ugly divorce as well. Yes. Explain a lot. Yeah. Uh, we do get some more insights into Rebecca's love life. Mm-hmm. Being an older divorcee myself, <laughs> it left me being both optimistic and inspired. Mm-hmm. There is a huge reveal, yes, which is that Rebecca's virtual boyfriend, mm-hmm. the banter partner, is, is Sam. <gasps> but I don't feel like I like this plot. Mm. <laughs> I love Sam. I love Rebecca. Right. You're just not sure. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Yeah. Like it feels 
I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. I'm just really unsure. I, they could pull it off. But speaking of maybe relationships that shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. our C plot is about Beard and Jean, uh, whose relationship does seem less than ideal, mm-hmm. I would say. There is an implication that Jane is cheating on Beard. Yeah, she has she has a lunch with I know, honey. yeah. I don't think and she it's was. Very, it, it's possible. No, yeah. but there is a very like distinct thing that they do in that conversation. Like they are implying yeah. that at least he they're at the very least they are showing that Beard feels insecure. Yes, that's fair. And that, that she is not attuned to him. To that's, his insecurities. Yes. Let me put it this way, you come away from this episode not entirely thinking that maybe Jean is not the best. Per, you know, yes, girl, you definitely per, think per that. Yeah. Oh, but, and also, they win the game. Thanks to a, a strategy that Nate pulls off. Yes, that's a very that's important, important part, part, actually. Yes, yes. Nate uh, spits on himself or something, or does he spit? He does some. He does, he does one the, of the spitting things. thing again to like. Po- he does the spitting thing. Up. He basically he. The, this is actually sports. He actually has the defense. He overloads on the defense. The other team makes a mistake, and that allows I think Jamie to like have a breakaway goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dan, what did we like? I did like the meeting of the Diamond Dogs talking about whether they should bring up Coach Beard's uh, bad relationship, and particularly the line that Ted Lasso says of, and that's the last time I ever gave a best man speech, which, you know, was was a well-executed line. I did like Coach Beard's mom being full QAnon. That was just a good laugh. I also liked, I think if someone said that, that moms were guides to why people are so screwed up, I would just say, that's parents, that's not just moms, let's be very clear I was going to say, this yeah. is a show where they emphasize the role of the dad so much, kind of like, yeah, sure, moms, but yeah. don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't want to single them out. <laughs> I think I like the Sam reveal a little more than you did. Uh, one thing I like is that essentially they pulled an effective head fake, because in the previous episode, they clearly made you want to think that it was Ted that was the one texting with Rebecca. And so I assumed that it was Ted and I was legitimately surprised it was Sam. So that was, it was a nice plot shock, I guess would be the way to put it. In terms of whether this works out, yes, we will have to see in future episodes. But I really like Sam and I actually like the fact that Sam is Oh, I love more, him. I love them both. Right, he's and had it's, more it's screen just, time. It's... Yeah, but um, so hopefully this will be a meteor mm-hmm. plot, but I understand why you would potentially have objections to it. And then finally, I think in this episode... You finally see Banter replacing Dubai as the primary sponsor. I kind of like this, and at least they address the fact that Dubai clearly was going to drop their sponsorship and that they needed something else. Again, it would be nice to actually talk about the fact that I assume this would hit their revenue just a wee bit. And that they should talk about the fact that there are repercussions from making moral choices. I have to comment on that. Okay. Which is that I have now dipped my toe in online dating apps. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm so old to call them online dating apps. <laughs> dating apps. So you do this on the internet is what you're saying, Anna. Yeah, that's okay. the internet. The tubes. Okay, the inner tubes. The series yeah, of the tubes, Dan. Okay, yeah. I do not think a service that was only text would survive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have the revenue to support an English football team. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking, especially since I mean, my understanding is that, like this is Keeley's baby, right? Like she's the one who started this. Yeah. Like, no, when she didn't start this thing, she just got them on as a. Sponsor. Oh, right, okay, all right. Um, that makes yeah. that makes a little more sense, but I don't know. Maybe it was combined with like, is it Bumble? Is the one that like only women can initiate? Yeah. yeah. Maybe if you- that that is the one that I have I have looked at the most. I'm not going to say used. I didn't say that. I will. No. I have 
I will say I have so many things that like I've, this is the first time, literally the first time I've ever looked at this mm-hmm. stuff. And there's this weird thing of all the men in profile pictures are taken in their cars. Like there's a consistent theme. Like I'll send you like screenshots where yes. men are doing selfies sitting in the front seat of their cars. And someone was like, oh, are they showing off their cars? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I think it's just like that. That's where it occurred to them to take this. Oh, that I could see. Like, like, is it literally like a shot where like they're just sitting in the driver's seat and you're just seeing the car? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that I yeah. believe that. Yeah. It, but it's over and over and over. It's very Men odd. Are impulsive and then also, <laughs> I would say, for a app where it is the job of the dude to like seem appealing, yes. a lot of men put no thought into their. Performance. No, like really. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Is that just like surprise? But like, there's a lot of like selfies in front of a mirror, just like, you know, like in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, all right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. So I'm going to preface this by saying I have not been on any of these sites uh, for obvious reasons. Don't women have a lot of shots where they're like posing in front of a mirror as well? I mean, yeah, but like, no, actually, like, there's a lot of. I think you'll find most female selfies are done like arm's length, yeah. or even like using like something like to take right where the they've picture, got like the like stick thing or yeah, something. yeah, okay, All yeah. Right, fair no, they just like a woman is going to put some care into her shots, mm-hmm. and indeed, I have thought about mm-hmm. it and thought about what pictures I would mm-hmm. use. I don't think I'd use any selfies. Like, those aren't great pictures of me, necessarily. Right. Yeah. You know? And it, I just... The, and I also think men maybe don't understand. If you didn't put some time and effort into your profile, then I don't want to go on a date with you. Yeah, no, that sends a bad signal. <laughs> it's good that you tell our <laughs> listeners this. This is important information. Like, yeah. Yeah. If you don't give a shit about how you come off in the profile, then I don't... I'm not interested in how you come off over yeah. coffee. Men... Put some effort in. It doesn't make you look desperate. It makes you look like you care. Yes. that That's exactly. the way I would put it. Yeah. Exactly. So enough about okay. that. Although I'm sure I will have more to say, or maybe not, because the <laughs> whole thing is like, I just don't, I do not like it, Dan. I do not like it. <laughs> so wait, Anna, I do have a question, which is I understand that, that you might not be thrilled with the Sam Rebecca plot line, but you haven't explained why. So like, what is it that, that bothers you about it? It's because they've shown no chemistry or connection previous. Hmm. I don't even know if we've ever seen them talk previously. Uh, yeah, I mean, so. I just feel like it's a. It, it's also one of those like sitcom like coincidences mm-hmm. that feels a little lazy to me. Like that's one of the reasons I wasn't going to like it if it was Ted. Yeah, no, I I was not going to like it if it was Ted. That would have been because yeah. like it, this world is just not that small. Right. right. I mean, if this is also, of course, this, this, it could be that banter is failing so badly that there's only people on it are the members. Well, of, right, I was going to say, as a, as a team. startup, it wouldn't have, that, did, that part didn't surprise me. I assume it's still small enough so that, like, they're, it, you know. But they're sponsoring a, a football team. So, like, you yeah. know, so I, I, it's, it's one of those coincidences that only happens in sitcoms. And, and Ted Lasso was not a just, normal sitcom and or has traditionally yeah, not been. Yeah. It's traditionally avoided that kind of shit, right? Yeah, that's fair. And then also, I guess, like, one of the reasons it would have been somewhat acceptable if it was Ted Mm -hmm. is because we've seen how their personalities kind of... Complement each other. Go against each other, complement each other. And I don't know about Sam and Rebecca's personalities. We actually also don't know enough about Sam. Like, Like, him quoting Rilke, like... 
I mean, I believe mm-hmm. it, but we haven't seen that side of him. The one thing I will say is the one area in which I think they're diametric opposites is that Rebecca, as we have said, is a very cynical person in a lot of ways. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Sam is the exact opposite of that. Like, Sam is just, like, pure joy and naivete. It's 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 not it, it's it's yeah. a legitimately appealing part of his character. And so it'll be interesting to watch the two of them interact. And I would say that the banter between them two didn't sound like Sam. Hmm, that's fair. Yes. That might be a, a bit more like, yeah. cuz the banter was a little cynical at times. Yes. Although maybe this is I mean, let me put it this way. I will say this. I think we are we have different selves depending upon what we're doing. And so, like, I think you would acknowledge this and I would acknowledge this. Like, my persona on Twitter is different from my persona in real life. And so maybe someone's persona on text is different from their persona in, you know, a a soccer locker room. That is true, Dan. But for the purposes of making a plot work, Mm -hmm. I think it would have been good to introduce the character that whoever Rebecca was bantering Mm -hmm. with should sound a little bit more like, Sam. I think that is a no, like, that's a that's a valid criticism and I think we're on the same page there. Cuz Rebecca sounded a lot like Rebecca yes. in her text to what turns out right. to be Sam. No, no, that's true. Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say I liked all the stuff that you mm-hmm. liked. I'm getting distracted about how the show is a little disappointing to me. It's not as so, good as season we've already 1. Talked yeah. A little bit, yeah. I, I live it this way. I think I mean I I I would agree with you that the average caliber of this season has not been quite the same as last season. And I think last season was a legitimate surprise because I was I was not mm-hmm. expecting to like that show, and, and I did. Yep. I still trust the writers enough so that I'm kind of curious what the journey is going to be in this on this season. And the fact that Ted now is apparently going to go into therapy strikes me as potentially a more interesting plot line. And that I, I'm curious to see how that goes, I guess would be the way to put it. I agree, but I think we would also agree mm-hmm. <laughs> that one of the things that made it such a good show for season was not just the surprise that it was good, mm-hmm. but that it's a somewhat surprising show. Yes. Like they really avoided a lot of the sitcom cliches and pitfalls. And, and they have not done that this season. That's a be- that, Or let me put it this way. What they've done sometimes is the sitcom cliches, but they've done them extremely well, which is a different kind yeah. of thing. It, Sure, but it's just not the kind of subversion of expectations that season one managed to pull off, like again and again. again again No, I I think the way to put it is that season two is not has not been revelatory in the same way that season one was. Yes, agree. But that said, Anna, what did you learn from this episode? Dan, it is bad business to get up in people's business. (laughs) However, yes. We would not have Ted Lasso without being up in people's business. There we go. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's funny. This episode had a few times where people were making boundaries at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, huh, is the show trying to comment on something? <laughs> because, like, Ted says to Sharon, did you get up in any trouble last night? And Sharon says, not that I care to discuss it with <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, a boundary. <laughs> On Ted Lasso, someone drew a boundary. (laughs) People in the show normally have no boundaries. (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. Most sitcoms wouldn't exist if people had good boundaries. The other thing I learned, women over 50 can get some. Oh, yes. Also, I hate to... This is a male gaze question, Anna. Is it my imagination or is... Rebecca been wearing clothing that is just much tighter this year than it was last year. Like, I, I don't know how to put this, but like, 
Rebecca. She's more bombshell. Yeah, oh, that's I, that's what I'm trying to ask. Like it seems she seems much more bombshelly yeah. this season than she did last season. And I mean, she's always been attractive, yeah. but also I buy it. I mean, like again, yes, like fellow on the older side, divorcee. Yeah. Like um, you definitely feel like you gotta flaunt it a little. Fair enough. You know, if you got yes. it, because because going back <laughs> to the rest of the episode. <laughs> Yes. Women are constantly told they need the validation of a male gaze in order to feel good about themselves. And if you've recently been divorced by someone who really pushed it in your face. Okay. Like Rebecca (laughs) has. That's all I mean to say. Like Rebecca. Rebecca's husband, who left her for a much younger woman. (laughs) I think we can understand. Dan, what did you learn? Glad you asked, Donna. I learned... A practice, actually, that I've already done, but it's but I'm glad to see they did it in the show, which is when your parents come to visit, export and dilute them. By which I mean, <laughs> have your friends interact with them, and like you know, that way you the burden is somewhat off you. And I have to admit that was one of the plot elements where I thought Rebecca was at first being harsh, and in retrospect, it does seem justified given what her mom's behavior is. So remember this for the holidays, everyone. You know, like. For Thanksgiving, like my neighbors and I, very often we have a dessert summit where we have all of the relatives come. And the reason is is that this provides us with an hour or two where we don't have to interact with our own relatives necessarily. Uh, because as much as we love family, sometimes we need like a small break. I learned that sometimes selfishness is a good thing in sports and in life. And I know that uh, because we learned that Jamie needs to occasionally be a dick on the field in order to actually be able to, to score. And I don't know if we necessarily always need reinforcement of that point, but very often TV goes the absolute opposite way and sort of talks about always caring for others. And sometimes you really have to care about yourself. And that's an important lesson. And then finally, uh, it's always the thing you slightly misspeak that goes viral. <laughs> Nate, you know, does this this great maneuver and he talks about, he tries to say Wunderkind, but instead he says Wonderkid. And that's the way that everyone's, that's what everyone starts calling him. So, But it's also cute. Yeah. I mean, I think they make clear that like when the sports guy who's interviewing him, who corrects right. him on Wonderkid, like calls him Wonder Kid. Yeah. It's like, oh, like Nate has a new right, name. and that was a, that would generally be speaking a good thing. Although I here I will challenge verisimilitude. There is no way a sports guy would correct the coach on that point. I doubt it. Maybe, Maybe. yeah, that's an interesting verisimilitude question. Yeah, all right, Dan. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> of all the ways, I would I would try to d- d- you know, dissect Ted Lasso. Fair enough. <laughs> like, that particular one, you're really drilling down into some details. <laughs> Okay, Anna, I think it's time to end. I think it is. So if you are listening to this podcast right now, first of all, thank you. This is very much a labor of love. And we do this for ourselves. Sometimes selfishness Mm -hmm. is good. We do this for ourselves, but we literally couldn't do it without Mm you. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash space the nation. You are paying for our engineer, Karen, who is amazing. And her doggy, Alwyn. We are we're we're creating his college fund uh, it's still a little short mm-hmm. so come on keep it coming uh, and you also pay for various technical things in the background if you want to help the show if you're already subscribing somehow promoting us <laughs> i feel like i'm sounding desperate but like it that is the thing that you yes. can do like it really is and we will thank you with cool things like we said at the beginning adding features like the happy hour uh, and also special episodes etc cetera, etc cetera. So coming up, we have end of October, Mm -hmm. 
And then we have The Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, just in time. Well, actually, very early. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we wanted to get some Matrix in there before uh, the yeah. new movie comes out. And then... Uh, I believe we'll be doing Foundation. Foundation, yes. Yeah. All right. That is it for now. Until next time, Dan. Keep this channel open for more.